Well, I'm going to invite you guys to make your way to Luke chapter 8. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 8 this morning. And so as you guys are, are finding your way there, just so that we're fresh in our mind of where we're at, uh, the last couple of weeks, the, the passages that we've been looking at, uh, Jesus has been uh, kind of sitting on the edge of the Sea of Galilee, uh, teaching to a crowd. You guys remember, uh, he's been out there teaching and, and talking about how we receive God's word how it's important for us, it's essential for us to consider not just hearing the Word, not just receiving the Word, but, but how it takes root in our life. And so a couple of weeks ago, we talked about uh, the, the parable, the story where uh, Jesus compares people receiving the Word of God to different types of soil. Different types of soil and, and, and how people's hearts receive that Word, it, it makes a difference in our lives. It's important for us to not just know the truth, but to apply it. And so uh, last weekend, we talked about the same thing, to not just be hearers of the word, but be doers of it. And so this week, we've got a perfect example. There are, there are times in life where we learn something, and then it seems like we immediately have an opportunity to apply it. Well, the disciples had one of those moments uh, in Luke chapter 8. So after they have heard uh, guys, it's important to, to, to not just hear God's Word, but to hear it and know how, to, how it applies in your life. These disciples have now taken that truth and been given a perfect opportunity to apply that truth that we're going to look at uh, this morning. So I'm going to invite you guys, we're going to read Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25, and then dig in a little bit with our story this week. It says, starting in verse 22, now... On one of those days, Jesus and his disciples got into a boat, and he said to them, Let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they launched out. As they were sailing along, he, Jesus, fell asleep, and a, a fierce gale of wind descended on the lake, and they began to be swamped and to be in danger. Then they came to Jesus and woke him up, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he got up and rebuked the wind and the surging waves, and they stopped, and it became calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? They were fearful and amazed, saying to one another, Who then is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Let's pray together. God, we come to you. We, God, we are thankful for the opportunity to, to open up your word, gather, God, to, to gather together and worship this morning as we God, as we come before you, as we come before your word, and, and God, we just pray that you would give us ears to hear what you have to say to us. God, help us to be people who don't just hear the word, who don't just passively take it in and, and bury it some way in the back of our mind, but God, that we would be people who hear your word and do it. God, that we would be people that, that, that just like these disciples have had reminder after reminder of hear your word and do your word. God, we see a perfect opportunity this morning to talk about how you want us to, God, to respond differently when difficult times come in our life. God, thank you for your word and for this time that we can look at it together this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, guys, so, so let's uh, look at a couple of different sections. We're going to look at the first two verses where uh, we see this storm kind of come up out of nowhere. And so uh, I want to share with you guys just some fun geography weather stuff that I learned this week that, that kind of helps make sense of all of this. So uh, the reality is that, that inland water, like the Sea of Galilee was, uh, especially freshwater, possesses a, a very real and unique danger that uh, maybe sailing in the seas doesn't possess. 
freshwater lakes don't have the even rhythm of the waves coming in and out that the ocean does. Uh, waves are often uh, coming in, in different directions and contradictory to each other. So you might get hit by a wave coming this way and then hit by a wave coming in the other direction. They're vulnerable to unique weather because they're surrounded by unique topography, right? If you're out in the middle of the ocean, everything's kind of about the same level. Water's generally level, and so the weather doesn't vary quite as much. But the Sea of Galilee has uh, some interesting things that have uh, kind of put it in a position where it can have some really strange weather pop up out of nowhere. See, the Sea of Galilee is only about five miles wide, and it's only about 13 miles long. It's not a huge body of water by comparison, but it is a, a fairly dangerous one due to the, 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 the surrounding uh, topography, the, the surrounding geography that's there. The sea is actually an incredible distance below sea level. It's one of the lowest places on earth. And so as one of the lowest places on earth, it's surrounded by mountains on most sides. It's surrounded by mountains that also have these deep ravines that are carved in between them, these canyons that run through the mountains and, and come down to the water. And so uh, these ravines serve as gigantic funnels, wind funnels, that, 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 that will pinch the air down. And based on where it's at and the way that the weather can change, that the temperatures can change, and it, it being this low valley, it kind of creates this suction that they would get some really intense storms that just come out of nowhere. The low valley that, that sucks the cold air downward and this thermal turnover, it, it sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? The, the canyons pinching down the wind and, and, and forcing the wind to speed up. It's kind of right here where we're at in this canyon as the Santa Ana winds come through. It's a very familiar thing for us, but, but it was something that these men, these disciples that were on the boat, were probably familiar with as well. Don't forget that several of the disciples were fishermen, that Jesus had come to this very lake and called Peter and Andrew and James and John from their fishing business to come and to follow him a few years earlier. So these are guys that are familiar with the way that the weather can, can come and go on this sea. But as Luke is describing this storm, he describes it as a fierce gale or a squall. Literally a, a hurricane of wind has come down on this lake and, and they're being swamped. That the boat is being swamped. That these men who were very familiar with this lake, are caught off guard. It's, it's come out of nowhere, and they're in great danger. Matthew actually uses the word seismos. It's a seismic event that's happening. There is literally an earthquake that's happening that, that, that this, the, the lake is being turned back and forth and upside down. This is a big storm. The lake was literally being shaken, is, is what Matthew was trying to describe. And, and even though the disciples didn't have any way of knowing it, during this terrible moment, during this terrible thing that they were going through, this storm was a divinely appointed miracle. It was a divinely appointed vehicle to teach them about God, to teach them some really important things that they needed to know and understand about God's power. See, this is a vital principle for, for all of us to remember and understand. Without difficulties, without trials, without storms, without stress, without failure, without different difficult things that come up in our life, we would never be able to grow to the point that we can if we walk through them. Storms have a way of, uh, of, of strengthening us, of creating something in us that when we come out on the other side of them, they've been to our benefit ultimately. Storms are a part of the process of spiritual growth. Storms are a part of the process of, of growing up in our faith and, and walking through life and 
And the reality is that, that what we see here as we kind of look at the disciples' opportunity to walk through this storm and, and how it compares to our lives, we often walk through storms as well, don't we? This storm came up out of nowhere for the disciples and they had to deal with this really overwhelming situation. But we don't ever have those, right? We don't ever have overwhelming situations that come up. This has been, a, a, this has been an interesting year, right? It's been a fairly interesting year. There have been difficult storms that have come up in a lot of different ways from a lot of different directions for a lot of us. Perhaps a storm like these disciples were facing. Maybe there's a storm in your life that's raging right now that you're here just because you knew it was the right thing to do, but you've got some turmoil in your own heart. Maybe there's a, a relationship that's, <clears throat> that's floundering this morning. Maybe you've got some relationships that are, that, that are in a place where they're just difficult today. Maybe you're drowning financially with no idea of how you're going to pay the bills next week. Maybe you're overwhelmed by anxiety with, with all of the stuff that's happening in our world. You're, you're overwhelmed by anxiety about, am I going to get this disease and what's going to happen to me and what about my friends or my family? Maybe this is the first Christmas that you've had to walk through without a certain loved one in your life. But you lost someone this year that that, that has just kind of become a, a weight on your heart during this season. Whatever the storm may be, whatever your trial may be that you find yourself in this morning as we're here, you may feel like you're drowning. But, but as we look at these verses, as we look at these disciples who, who literally were facing the potential of drowning, I think it's important for us to, to, to pause here. See, of course, the, when we ask the disciples at, at this point in their story, if we if we were able to stop and interview the disciples, they felt like Jesus was unaware of what was going on in their life. Jesus was unaware of the storm that had come up. Jesus was asleep in the front of the boat. I don't know how Jesus was asleep in the middle of this gigantic storm that is uh, swamping the boat and the fishermen that grew up on this lake are terrified that they're all going to die. But Jesus is asleep. It seems to the disciples that, that Jesus is unaware of what's going on, unaware of their problems. But, but this perception that they had of God's obliviousness to their misery, it, it shows us something in ourselves too, doesn't it? See, maybe, maybe you don't do this, but I feel like if I'm just going to be totally honest with you guys this morning, I find myself believing this lie sometimes, that, that when life gets difficult, I go, oh, man, I wish God would, would like see my problem and know that I had this problem and help me with this problem because it feels like God just is asleep at the wheel sometimes. Does God know? Does God care? Is, did, why is God letting me go through this difficult thing? Sometimes we mistakenly conclude that, that we're alone, that no one knows what's going on in our life, that no one cares, that not even God cares. See, we know that the Bible says that, that, that God created the world and everything in it. We know that the Bible says that, that God clothes the flowers of the field and makes them beautiful and that, that he knows every sparrow that falls to the ground. But maybe God got so distracted with, with counting the sparrows that he forgot about me somehow. We believe that sometimes. I believe we do. God knows everything, but somehow he got too busy and forgot about me. But, but what we see here in these disciples as they face this storm, 
And as they respond to this storm, and as we see Jesus step in and intervene in this terrible situation that they were in, we see the disciples have this struggle of faith. We see them come to this point where, where they have to, to pause and acknowledge and realize that there's something different about Jesus. There's something different about this man that's in the boat with them. And, and they find that, that sometimes we feel like, like God isn't aware, that God isn't watching, that God isn't paying attention, that he's asleep at the wheel, but, but he's not. I'm here to tell you guys this morning, as we look at these verses, God is not unaware of what's going on in your life. God's not unaware of what's happening. He just has a different plan for walking through it than we might have. Let's look at the second section of of verses. If we look at verses 24 and 25, what we see is a storm that was necessary for the disciples growing up in their faith. This storm was going to was going to push them to a different place in their relationship with Jesus. In verses 24 and 25, they are terrified of the storm in the, in the verses before that. But now we look at these verses. It says, They came to Jesus and woke him up, saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. He got up and rebuked the wind and the surging waves, and they stopped, and it became calm. There was this terrible storm that was going on, and, and the disciples were terrified. The disciples are, are, are overwhelmed. There's probably thoughts running through their head that you know, at this point they've been walking with Jesus for a few years. It had been about three years that they were following Jesus. And during that time they had gr- <clears throat> grand plans. All the things that God was going to do. That Jesus was going to save the world. That Jesus was going was to install God's kingdom. They thought they knew that there was this great plan. And now they're sitting here looking at this storm thinking, you know what? Maybe it's all over. Maybe at the end of this storm, all of us and Jesus, this guy that we had put our hope in, are all just sitting on the bottom of the lake together. How in the world are we going to make it through this? They were so wrong. In a moment, that whole narrative is about to change. They were so wrong because they, they, they focused in on their trial. They focused in on the storm instead of on the one who was able to, to change the storm, who was able to make a difference in the situation. They were so wrong, and so are we when we focus on the storms of life instead of on the Savior. They were so wrong when they focused on the storm, but they come to Jesus in this moment. They, they wake Jesus up in what has to be one of the worst possible ways that someone has ever been woken up from a nap in history. There are times, like, hopefully, fingers crossed, I get to take a nap this afternoon. I love laying around on Sunday afternoon with the, the, the football game on or whatever and falling asleep. And most of the time, my kids will make a giant noise or do something or jump on me or whatever and wake me up. It's just the way that my Sunday afternoons work a lot of the time. But Jesus has fallen asleep in the front of the boat is sleeping through this gigantic storm. And you know how he's woken up? He's woken up by 12 fishermen grabbing his shoulders, screaming, we're going to die! Okay. Jesus is wiping the sleepies out of his eyes, and so he gets up. All right, we got to deal with this. At this point in my life, I've come to accomplish something that that maybe previously in life I I never thought was going to be possible. 
See, at this point in my life, I, I now am dad to four kids, and, and what may have seemed impossible 10 years ago is now very much a reality for me, right? Because uh, dad voice is a very real thing. Anybody that has ever parented or has ever been parented, you guys remember, even if you just have to remember back to, to dad saying it to you, there was always a difference in, in dad voice, right? There are times where I'm rolling around with my kids and, and wrestling in the floor, and they'll do something, and you'll laugh and say, hey, 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 stop that. And they don't stop it because, you know, they're tickling me or whatever, and, and, and they know it's a funny stop it. And then there are times where dad voice gets turned on, and you say, hey, stop. Ooh. And they all give you the big eyes, and, and, and they freeze. I don't know what happened, but somebody did something bad, and we better stop, and we better stop now. You know what Jesus does here at this next point in our story? Jesus uses dad voice with the weather. What an incredible story. Luke 8.24 says that Jesus, he, he got up from his nap and he rebuked the wind and the surging waves and they stopped and it became calm. Mark's account, as Mark was telling this story, is a little bit clearer. It's a little bit more explicit Mark chapter 4, verse 39 says that Jesus got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died, and it was perfectly calm. The ESV translates it as Jesus saying, Quiet. Jesus gets up, and he looks at the storm, and he says, Stop it. The verb tense that's used here in the original language, it, it tells us that there was an immediate calm. This wasn't the wind started to slow down and, and, and the water started. Immediately calm. I don't know if you guys have ever been out camping or, or out somewhere that you get out on a lake early in the morning when it's still, when there's not other people that have gotten in it yet. A still, calm lake, it's, it's incredible. It's like a sheet of glass. There's this incredible reflection as, as you look at a calm lake that it looks like whatever's around the lake, it's, it's a mirror image because there's no movement on the water. When Jesus says, stop it to this storm, there is an immediate sense of perfect calm that comes over the water. These guys in a moment are screaming and bouncing and we're going to die. And the next moment, there's an eerie silence. Jesus gets up, rebukes the storm, and all of a sudden, it's just nothing. What an incredible way to grab their attention. I think whatever Jesus said next, the disciples were, were going to be just finally tuned in to what he had to say. And you know how he responds to them in this moment? He looks at them, he turns to them, and, and what's it say he did? It says he turned to them and he said, where is your faith? Why did you come to me, grabbing me, screaming, we're going to die? Where is your faith? At first, his question, his rebuke, this, this frustration that it seems like Jesus has with them, it may seem harsh, right? Their fear seems very natural for, 
for us as we sit here and look at it. They were in a storm. They, there was a storm. They were potentially going to die. Why is Jesus being so harsh with them? Jesus was asleep. Jesus could save them, but he was asleep. So, so when they came to him and woke him up, it seems like, in some sense, their fear was natural, right? But here's the problem. Even though their fear was natural, their response was not a response of faith. They had little excuse for their lack of faith at this point. Remember, we, 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 I just shared a few moments ago, these guys had been walking with Jesus. This isn't early in the ministry at this point. These guys have been walking with Jesus for three years. As these men have been walking with Jesus for three years, if you remember some of the other stories that we've looked at as we've gone through Luke so far, they've seen a centurion's servant who Jesus didn't even have to go and touch. He didn't even have to go and speak directly to the servant. He just said, be healed. And all of a sudden, a servant comes running out saying, he's healed, he's healed, you don't have to come. Jesus had power over that disease without even going and and interacting directly with the servant. You remember, uh, there was a, a, a widow's son that we looked at, that Jesus saw this funeral procession going by, and, and Jesus decided to raise that young man back to life from the dead. These disciples have been able to witness and see some really incredible things happen as they've followed Jesus for the last three years. At this point, there should be no doubt in their mind that, that Jesus is able to do just about anything. But when they found themselves in the middle of a storm, you know what they did? They didn't stop and reflect and remember what they knew to be true about how they had seen Jesus work and all the other difficult things that they had faced. They didn't stop and remember how Jesus had, had saved the, the dead boy and raised him back to life. They didn't think about how God had, had healed and worked in all these other situations. You know what they were focused on? They were just focused on the storm. They were just focused on, on this big overwhelming thing that was in front of them that they forgot everything that they knew to be true that had led them up to that point. Their fear had caused them to abandon all spiritual logic. How like us could these guys possibly be? We find ourselves in seasons of difficult sometimes, and you know what the temptation is most of the time? The temptation most of the time is for us to focus our eyes on the storm, just like these guys did. They were focused on the storm instead of on what they knew to be true. When life gets hard, do we run towards God? Or do we run away from God? These disciples got it almost right. Right? We look at this story, I, I guess they didn't have anywhere else to run. But they were in this boat with Jesus in this terrible storm. And you know what they do? They, they, they realize the storm is there and they, they do go to Jesus. To give them some credit, they do make the decision to go and to, and to seek Jesus for help in this situation. But they do it in a sense of, of fear and we don't have any other options, so I guess we should go talk to Jesus. Psalm 107 gives us a really cool parallel of what these guys had just seen. I want to read for you guys Psalm 107 verses 24 through 30. Remember, the Psalms were written before Jesus and the disciples had ever come and had ever uh, been on the lake in a storm, any of this. This is something that was written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before 
our story that we're looking at today. It says, it says in Psalm 107, They have seen the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he spoke and raised up a stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. They rose up to the heavens and they went down to the depths. Their soul melted away in their misery. They reeled and staggered like a drunken man and they were at their wit's end. And then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he brought them out of their distresses. He caused the storm to be still so that the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad because they were quiet, so he guided them to their desired haven. Guys, this isn't the first time that God has proven that he has power over creation. This isn't the first time that God has done something really cool with controlling weather and controlling the waters. These 12 disciples, good Jewish boys, good Jewish young men were were out on the Sea of Galilee with Jesus and they find themselves in this situation where Jesus proves that he has power over the waters. And, and I think it probably brought to mind for them another story that they had heard mom and dad talk about and heard grandma and granddad talk about and, and, and has been passed down throughout the Jewish people for generation after generation. You guys remember it. In the Old Testament, we remember uh, Moses is leading the people of Israel out of Egypt, and they get to this place where they are, are trapped between the Red Sea and the Egyptians barreling down behind them. And God, in a miraculous work, causes the Red Sea to part. This was one of the key things that, 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 that God had worked in incredible ways and saved his people from this terrible situation that they had found themselves in. There was no earthly answer for how they were going to escape, either swimming across the Red Sea or facing this incredible army from Egypt that was chasing them down. And you know what God did? God worked. Psalm 106 says that, that He, God, rebuked the Red Sea and it dried up. Moses and the people of Israel had seen God work in an incredible way in a situation where there was no other way. There was no other hope. God made a way for them. The disciples, as they are sitting here listening to Jesus, look at the storm and say, stop it, and calm comes over the water. I think at least a few of them had to think back to, this guy controls the weather like, like, like our, our grandparents said that God did all those years ago, the edge of Egypt. This storm perfectly illustrates for the disciples and it perfectly illustrates for us a really key truth of the Bible. Jesus is higher. Jesus is preeminent. Jesus is in charge over everything that exists in all of creation. Colossians chapter 1. I love these verses. Colossians chapter 1 says, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. John chapter 1, uh, our, our, our kids' video actually talked about these verses. They talk about how Jesus was preeminent over all of creation. John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, Jesus being the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things came into being through Him. Apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. 
Revelation 4 also kind of talks about this same idea. It says, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. Jesus is supreme over everything. The Bible tells us that, that, that the world exists because Jesus holds it together. I don't know if anybody else is interested by it, but, but biology and, and chemistry and the way that things hold together was something that was intriguing to me back when I was in school. And, and you, you keep going down closer and closer and smaller and smaller and smaller into chemistry, and, and they get to a point where people have just kind of had to say, we don't really know how it holds together. They, 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 they swirl around in a certain pattern and we can tell you what's there and we can tell you what molecules and what atoms and what protons and neutrons and all these things, but we can't tell you how they hold together at, at, the, at the smallest level. I can. Jesus. Jesus is the one that created the world. Jesus is, is proving in this story that he has control over the world. We serve a really big God. I think that's really important for us to grasp and to understand because, because we serve a really big God that is in control over a lot of things. He is con- in control over everything. There's no telling how often some of the disciples, these fishermen had been on this lake and had been in storms like this, but it's clear in this story that these guys had no chance. It doesn't matter what other storms they had been through, this one was the big one. This one was the one where, where they weren't going to make it out on their own. It was clear that they were powerless to deal with these forces of the storm. But even though their faith was weak, they did the right thing in turning to Jesus. They did the right thing in turning to Jesus in crying out for help. Even though their cry for help was focused on the storm, they come, they wake up Jesus screaming, we're going to die. You know what they did? They, they went to Jesus. It was their cry focused on the storm, focusing on the fact that they were going to die that was their only mistake in this. See, if they had understood God's care and compassion that he had for them and and God's care and compassion that he has for us, they would have realized that, that God doesn't ever fall asleep at the wheel, that divine care doesn't ever take a break, that God doesn't ever miss something, that something doesn't happen outside of God's control. That storm was there because God allowed it to be there. And same message for us, for you today. That storm is there because God's allowing it to be there. We want to reach back now and, and try to bridge the context from where these guys were to where we are. The, the sense of helplessness that these guys were feeling, it doesn't have to be restricted to a physical storm. We find ourselves in storms where, where there is a rush of circumstances, where there is a rush of, 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 of something that is overwhelming, and it finds us in a place where we are just, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't know how I'm going to make it. But it's in the feelings of helplessness that we find ourselves in a place where, where there is no other hope where there is no other opportunity that it forces us to turn to the Savior. The Savior, the one who saves. We call Jesus Savior because we know 
in His name. We, we, we know that He is the one who saves. And then we go focus on the storm. And then we go focus on the difficult things in life instead of focusing on the one that has the power to control them all, that, that holds the world together. Before light comes in the journey, there is always a darkness there. Most of the time in life, I, I can't attest to who said it because it's one of those quotes that's been said over and over and over again. But I found it to be true in life. Most of the time in life, we're either getting ready to go into a storm, we're in a storm, or we're just coming out of a storm. Life is full of difficult things. Life is full of difficult seasons. At the foundation, at the, at the very core of what it means to be a Christian, at the very core of what it means to follow God, there is this foundation that, that we have to trust God in the difficult. God has never promised us that our lives would be easy. God has never promised us smooth sailing. This year has, has perfectly illustrated that for us, hasn't it? Thing after thing, storm after storm seem like they come coming from different directions, coming from all over the place. There is, it's been a rough year. I think that's a safe statement for me to say, right? It's been a rough year. Anyone who tells you that, that life is just going to be smooth sailing is, is lying to you. They're trying to sell you something. But you know what I can promise you today? That just like these disciples learned, and just like I have learned time and time and time again in my life, and just like I would, I would beg and ask you to learn through the storms in your life, God doesn't promise that there will never be storms, but God does promise to be there with us in the midst of them. We serve a God who is more than capable of dealing with whatever the storm is in your life. And to reinforce that, I'd like to share with you guys a story as we kind of finish up. One of the, the, the great hymns of the faith was written by a man that was in one of these overwhelming storms. One of these overwhelming storms, the, the hymn, It Is Well, was written in the midst of a, of a really terrible storm like this. Horatio Spafford was the man who wrote that hymn. He was a friend of D.L. Moody. He lived in Chicago in the 1800s, and he was a lawyer, and he was an elder at his church. He knew the Lord, and Spafford, as a, a lawyer, had invested in real estate on the north side of Chicago in the spring of 1871. He invested a lot of his resources into real estate in 1871, spring of 1871, he invested. In October of 1871, the Great Chicago Fire hit, turned basically the entire city of Chicago to ashes. All of Spafford's investments, all of Spafford's resources in a moment were, they were just gone. Two years after the fire, Spafford and his family his wife Anna, their four daughters, they had planned a trip to, to travel to Europe. D.L. Moody was going to be preaching in Europe, and so they had decided they were going to, to follow and, and to come along and to, to take some time away. But at the last minute, business demands caused Horatio Spafford to not be able to go with his wife and daughters. They were, they were going to go ahead and go, and he was going to join them as soon as he could once he had dealt with some of the business stuff that he had to deal with. On November 22nd, 
1873, the boat that was carrying Spafford's wife and daughters was struck as it was going across the Atlantic. It was struck by another boat. 226 people were killed in that terrible accident, including all four of Spafford's daughters. In the days following that, he received a telegram from his wife as she had arrived in Europe. When she arrived in England, she sent a telegram back that simply said, Saved Alone. Spafford, hearing the news that, that, that his wife was the only one who had survived that from his family, that his four daughters were dead, finished up as quickly as he could, and, and, and he made the trip across the ocean to be with his wife, to grieve the loss of their four beautiful daughters. And as he is in a boat, sailing across the sea, dealing with all of the emotions that are happening, all of the terrible things that are going on in his heart over the loss of, of, of great resources and the loss of his children. It is sitting on that boat crossing the Atlantic Ocean that he wrote the words to the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Let me read for you guys the first verse, the first stanza of that. It says, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot, you have taught me to say that it is well, it is well with my soul. Here's a man who learned to trust God in the midst of the storm. We serve a God who is able to help us to, to, to overcome, to walk through any storm with us. God doesn't promise us that life will be easy. He doesn't promise us that things will always work out exactly the way that we want them to. But what he does promise us is that he will always walk through it with us. That he is powerful enough that anything that happens in life, it's not because God fell asleep in the boat. It's not because God somehow missed the plan that, that God looked at something and went, oops, I sent that one to the wrong person. Whatever it is that happens in life, whatever storm you may be facing, it's because God allowed it to be there. It's because God has something to teach you through it. The disciples came out on the other side of this storm having learned and seen, wow, look at this man. Who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? I can tell you guys, I have walked through some difficult seasons in life. And I didn't always understand what was going on. I didn't always understand why God was allowing whatever it was to happen. But I was able to look back after. Years later sometimes, I was able to look back and go, oh, okay, God, I see it now. Okay, even though I didn't like the storm, even though I didn't want to walk through the storm, I can look back now and see, oh, God, you are trying to teach me this. You are trying to show me this. You are trying to grow me in this way, in this area, in this season of my life. We serve a God who is in charge of the storms. We can sit here this morning in the midst of whatever storm it is that you may have brought here with you this morning and know, you know what? God's bigger than that storm. And whatever that storm is, we don't have to fear that storm because because in a moment, Jesus could say enough, and that storm would just be gone. So if he hasn't, it means that there's something really awesome that God wants to do in that storm. 
It means that there's something really special that God wants to teach you or, or, or God wants to do in you or God wants to do for you, right? Sometimes difficult things end up being for our benefit. Luke wanted his readers, as we read this story, he wanted the readers to recognize that because of the Lord's power, there was no reason for the disciples to fear. Jesus' response was because the disciples were afraid, because they had fixed their eyes on the storm instead of on the king of the storm. Jesus' power was greater than their needs, and Jesus' power is greater than our needs. There is nothing too big for him to handle. There is nothing too great that he can't control. Jesus' desire for us this morning, I believe with all my heart, Jesus wants us to respond to the storms of life, not by looking at the storm and screaming, we're not going to make it. He wants us to come to him in faith and say, Jesus, we need your help. In the words of Horatio Spafford, my prayer for us today is the words of that song. Whatever my lot, you have taught me to say that it is well with my soul. In just a moment, we're going to pray and we're going to finish up. If you have a storm in life that you just need to talk to somebody, you just need prayer. Our prayer team is going to be over here to your right as we finish up. They would love to pray with you. I would love to pray with you for whatever it is. Whatever the storm may be, come find someone. Because, because taking it to God, because, because coming to Him and saying, God, we, we need you is the perfect, appropriate response in whatever that storm may be. Let's never allow the storm to become so big in our life that we lose sight of the one who's in control over all of it. Let's pray together. God, we... God, I am so thankful for the way that you... that you work in our lives that you are in control, that we can trust you, that we can know that no matter how difficult things may seem, no matter how high the waves of life may come, you are bigger. God, there is no panic in, in your heart. There is no panic in your throne room. There is no storm that is bigger that you can't control and that you didn't know was coming. So God, as we face the storms of life, God, give us the calm assurance. God, the, the peace of knowing that, that even when the storms come, we serve and we follow and we are loved by the God of the storms. God, you are the powerful one who is in control of everything. And God, as the incredible creator, the incredible sustainer of life and of the world and of us, God, help us to remember and to realize that we have to come to you. God, we need you. We desperately need you because life is hard. God, help us to rest in you as a child that is at peace in daddy's arms, knowing that daddy's going to make it okay. God, we run to you this morning with whatever the storm may be in our life, and we just need to rest in your arms. God, we love you. Father, 
thank you so much for the way that you love us.